Hi, everybody. Megan and Josh here. And if you're a regular subscriber of the Today's Day podcast, you probably noticed that we took a little pause. Why did that happen, Josh? Well, the world isn't like it used to be. With the pandemic happening with COVID-19, a lot has changed. And actually, a lot hasn't changed, which is what we're going to cover today. Yeah. So when we looked at the lineup of podcasts that were coming out, we realized that there were maybe other topics that were a little more urgent and a little more time sensitive or time relevant. And that's what brings us to today's episode that we're sharing with you on resilience. We recorded this episode back in December or January when we, when we what we might look at as the good old days um, before we were all um, sequestered in our homes dealing with this global pandemic. And now listening back on this episode, which I did to make sure that it was still um, relevant, it almost sounds like Josh and I were looking into a crystal ball. Now, of course, we couldn't have predicted the pandemic, but the decline in resilience has been incredibly obvious. Right. And the cool thing about resilience is that it applies to anything and everything in your life. So if we're concentrating on resilience and putting energy into it and doing all the things we talk about in the upcoming podcast, it plays a role uh, in preparing our body for any type of trauma that's going to come our way or any type of challenge that's going to come our way. You know, one of the examples you'll hear me talk about is those with scurvy and that, you know, you could have these sailors on the ship all exposed to the same deficiency of vitamin C, but some suffer a lot quicker and some don't suffer at all and make it through the journey. So keep your ears peeled to those examples as you go through here listening about resilience. Yeah, and you can take the examples we give, the information we give, and basically just adjust it to the filter of the world we now live in right now. And one other quick note, we do mention our 2020 masterclass, and there's a very quick mention of the fact that it is live in Toronto and online. Well, for obvious reasons, the event is now exclusively online, and we are catering it to the needs and um, experience of a virtual online global audience. It will be the most incredible digital online event you've ever attended. Join us. The theme is resilience. And again, we didn't know this was coming, the pandemic that is, but we did know that there was a serious decline in resilience in the human population, which is why we chose this topic six months ago. So head over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash 2020 masterclass to get your tickets. And, oh, there was one other really funny thing in this podcast episode, Josh, which uh, I don't know if you remember, we talked about our idea of a perfect weekend, which was basically getting groceries and then staying home. It's funny it's when you, it's funny when you look yeah. back. <laughs> it's pretty much what's happening now, right? Although how much longer will we be able to get groceries? We don't know. I don't know, but it's funny because that's what we love to do. But now that we're forced to do it, it kind of puts a different framework around all of it. All that to say, we hope you're all well, um, staying safe, taking care of yourselves and each other. And we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Today is the Day podcast, where we take a deep dive into popular health topics and empower you to make informed, evidence-based decisions. We offer practical tools and strategies so you can easily integrate what you learn into your everyday habits. And coming up on May 9th, the Academy of Culinary Nutrition is hosting our very first 
Masterclass. You can join us live in Toronto or live online from anywhere in the world. To get your tickets and join us, visit us at culinarynutrition.com forward slash 2020 masterclass. This year's theme is resilience. And because Josh and I have been deep into this fundamental essential for health, today is the day we're divulging what resilience means when it comes to our health and the key habits that need to be addressed in order to achieve it. We'll be covering the role diet and nutrition play in resilience and also why diet and nutrition is only one small part of health, how community is essential to disease prevention, where happiness fits in with building up resilience, and how stress can actually be used as a positive force in our lives. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us for this important episode. I'm Megan Tubner, a nutritionist, two-time best-selling author, and founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. And joining me as always is a serious key to my resilience, living with Josh Catalis. And here he is as the co-host. Hi, everyone. I'm a clinical nutritionist and functional medicine practitioner with a clinic in downtown Toronto. I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Certification Program and an instructor with the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. And back to you, Megan, another part of my epic resilience. Is this getting annoying, guys, yet? So resilience is an essential factor of health that I think we often forget about when we're so focused on the details of healthy living, like the right diet, the right supplements, the right exercise, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly, Megan. Without considering the resilience factor, our health will never be where it can be. Alrighty. Sounds simple enough, right? So Josh, how do you define what you call the resilience factor? The resilience factor is the mental and physical ability to easily and effectively handle stressors and recover quickly from them. You know, when I just said resilience factor, like resilience factor, I feel like there needed to be like music. Do, do, do. <laughs> So this episode is to help tie a bow on so much of what we covered so far in this podcast. And this may not be the kind of topic that's controversial and has a lot of conflict in it. It's simple and it's important. And that's why we're covering it here. And that's why we chose it as the theme for our masterclass, because it can easily become overwhelming when we're reading and listening to and, and learning about so many different factors that affect our health. So Josh, where should we start when we talk about the resilience factor? Well, let's start by using a really simple example. I love your simple examples. Think about a rope. Is this like a rope I can use for macrame or what kind of rope? Always, Megan. Okay. Every rope's good for macrame. <laughs> True story. And if we take both ends of it and pull and pull and pull, there comes a point where the resilience of that rope, the stress put upon it is too much for the rope to handle. And what happens? It breaks. It snaps, right. Now, when we're talking about a rope, it's not a biological system. So it only is kind of a one-way street. It can only handle stress up to a certain point, and then it's done. But the cool thing about the human body and about all biological systems on this planet is that we've evolved to not only resist that stressor, but to also bounce back stronger if it's not too much of a stressor. Mm -hmm. And that's resilience. 
that was a really good way to introduce this this topic. But I do have to tell you, when you first said about this rope, it actually reminded me of a time in our life when our resilience was low. And that was when you and I were first dating, first building our businesses and working extremely long days. And what does this have to do with a rope? You had a rope you kept in the back of your car for when you were teaching your digestive classes at the local nutrition school, because you brought that rope out to show the length of the small intestine, I think. But this idea that, you know, we were in this state where we were doing our best to live healthfully, but we were not necessarily living in complete balance because we were just working so much. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I remember I got sick more easily. I felt more fatigued. And to say I felt more fatigued then when I was younger without a child than I do now with, you know, being a little bit older and having a bit more less time to myself, it really is a testament to how our resilience can waver over our lifespan and be affected by the choices we make on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, we were hanging out on the edge of our resilience. Yes, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, and you know what? I felt it because... One of my biggest indicators was that I didn't recover fully the next day. Right. And I remember that too when I was teaching cooking classes every single night that the next mornings I was was slow. Like I just felt deeply fatigued. That's a really good indicator too for people to kind of be aware of that if you wake up the next day and you don't feel 100% again, it means that you haven't recovered fully from the previous day and your resilience is dwindling. So let's start with talking about resilience. And we're going to cover a few different factors. We're going to talk about diet, nutrition, everyday health habits, friendship and community, and environmental factors, happiness, and striving. We're going to sort of talk about resilience as it relates to these key factors and components. So let's start with diet and nutrition, which is a lot of what we do here at the Academy of Culinary Nutrition and what you address in your clinic. That's a great place to start. And before I get into that, it's important to understand our body can handle most tissues, most organs, most glands, most systems can handle about four to seven times what its typical output is. Explain that. Yeah. So, you know, right sitting here recording this podcast, my heart rate is at a certain rate. It's quite low. But it's not high sitting next to me. Only when you look over at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on with the podcast. Uh, but when I start to move or exercise and I need that heart rate to increase. There's certain mechanisms that are in play that put a greater stress on that system and increase the capacity. Another example is my kidneys are constantly filtering my blood. They can handle a lot of abuse. And you know, when someone goes in dialysis, usually 80% of their kidneys have been damaged. People can destroy their liver for multiple years consuming drugs or alcohol. And eventually that liver gets so damaged, they need a replacement arteries need, you know, 90% blockage before we have a heart attack. So we have this, this range, this ability to kind of handle these stressors. But when we push it too long, too far, that's when we dwindle the resources. And one thing that keeps our organs and our glands and our systems healthy is having lots of nutrients. We can think of all of these parts of our body as factories. And in those factories, we have workers. And we need enough workers to make sure that factory is working at full capacity and is operating properly. But, you know, if there's a strike of those workers or some people are sick or some people don't come in that day, our factories don't work 
that well. And that's what happens over time. So our nutrients from our food help to populate and keep those factories healthy. I can give you an example. Would you like an example? You know I always do. One of the first nutrient deficiency diseases we discovered was... Scurvy. When sailors would go on these long trips and they wouldn't have any fresh food and their teeth would fall out and their gums would bleed and their wounds wouldn't heal and they'd bleed out from the inside and die. Right. They weren't getting enough vitamin C. Right. Did I just spoil your story? No, not at all. We're, you know, we're going to target vitamin C here. But on day one of their journey, they didn't have scurvy. Right. On day two, they didn't have scurvy. On day three and four and five and six, they didn't have scurvy. It was this slow decrease of vitamin C coming in and certain tissues needing it to stay healthy. And then the weeks went by and that's when they would start to incur symptoms. Right. So vitamin C is really important for collagen formation. And when we can't do that, our tissues start to break down. That's why we get bleeding gums and wounds that don't heal and bleed from the inside out. But also not everyone on that ship developed scurvy the same hour of the same day because they were coming into it with different levels of resilience. Some people may not have gotten sick at all because there are other factors that affect our overall health. For sure. So with diet and nutrition, if we're eating a diet that is depleted, if we're eating a diet that's refined, that's been altered, that's been processed in ways that destroy and degrade those nutrients, we're getting the sustenance, we're feeling full, we're filling our stomachs, but we're slowly getting less and less workers to operate those factories. And that can become a problem over time. Right. And when we look at or we think about that rope analogy you gave, Diet and nutrition will help that rope stay strong to a degree, but there's other lifestyle factors that will work against it or will cause it to fray more quickly. And that's where we look at some of the everyday health habits that will affect resilience. Habits are so important because habits are the things that we do sort of unconsciously, but also consciously, unconsciously, if that makes any sense. Consciously, (laughs) unconsciously? That makes no sense. (laughs) But we've done it so long that it just becomes automatic. Like we have to think about brushing our teeth or else our teeth don't get brushed, but it's something we do every day. It's like in the first episode of the season, I think it was episode 12, we talk about how we live healthfully and make it effortless because we are consistent. And it's that consistency with healthy habits that builds resilience. Now, what often happens is that we don't start thinking about resilience or health necessarily from this perspective until we are in a state of crisis where we either have a health emergency, a personal emergency, or in many cases, you have women come into your clinic when they are pregnant and suddenly want to develop healthy habits, or they have their child and have a newborn baby and they suddenly want to develop healthy habits. And I'm not saying that is a crisis situation, but when you're in these states where you actually need to rely on your resilience and what you've built up in that resilience bank account, that's not the time to actually start building it. That's when you get to take advantage of the deposits you've been making in your life up until that point. That's when you get to make a little bit of a withdrawal and lean on that resilience to get you through it. Exactly. You know, athletes, they don't start training when they're on the track of the race, right? It's like months and years and and hours and hours before they get there. And what I see is that people with really strong resilience, when there is a crisis, they need a surgery, they're in an accident, something really bad happens, they need to take an antibiotic or a drug or whatever it is. 
they bounce back a lot quicker. Yeah. And the doctors or the people monitoring them, them say, you responded to this treatment very well or you recovered very quickly. So one thing I want to say on that is something you call the N of one. So this idea that you read statistics about outcomes of different things, but what can't be taken into account is the resilience of someone, the actual health or state of being in which that person is coming into that scenario with, which is something that's really, really important to consider and why I hate, and I know it's a strong word, but when you're, say, given a disease diagnosis and immediately given a statistic about the risks and the outcome, because when you have that resilience built up, uh, you're going to be on the higher end of potential positive outcome, of course, depends on the exact circumstance. And so we can't, and and one of the challenges we often get towards healthy living is like, well, I'm going to die eventually, or this is in my family, or there's a good likelihood I'm going to have this, or I won't get through life without, you know, experiencing a disease or a break in the body or something. But that resilience is what will allow you, as Josh said, to actually rebound faster. So it's not, we're not doing this as a guarantee for a lifetime of health. Things will happen. But this can allow us to have a quicker and more efficient and effective and potentially complete and full recovery should we experience a decline or a, you know, backstep in our health. Yeah. Another example, which I see quite a bit, is recovery from antibiotic use. Now, this has become a lot more mainstream, the the issues and the problems that can ensue from taking antibiotics. So a lot of people get freaked out when they have to take an antibiotic. And sometimes a situation comes along where you have an infection that's just, it's a very powerful bacteria and you just can't fight it. And you need that antibiotic, which can literally save lives of people. And then, but people get scared of what those effects are. Now, if you come into that, having a strong microbiome, having a really good diet that then even though those antibiotics are wiping out all the good guys and the bad guys, when you are done that course, you're already eating a diet that has lots of good prebiotics in it, maybe some probiotics and foods that feed that microbiome appropriately. And therefore, you can prevent some of the ill effects from antibiotic use. When we had planned for the birth of our son, we had every intention of doing it without medical intervention. That had been our hope and our intention. And I had done everything I possibly could have to try and ensure that happened. And of course, if you know my story, you know that it wasn't remotely as we had planned. Uh, We had nearly all medical interventions and I was really scared of them because I'd read those statistics and I read about, you know, the, the risks of different outcomes with different medical interventions. However, prior to going into labor, I had been building up my resilience for a long time, for over a decade. But some of the important things were, you know, regular exercise and and all these other factors. And so my recovery was not the norm. It was extremely accelerated. And I had virtually no physical, you know, there's the usual time it takes for hormones to rebalance, but I had none of the physical trauma that is so often associated with some of the medical interventions that I had. So some of the factors you want to consider in building up your resilience as it relates to your overall health is looking at your daily 
habits. And this includes things like making exercise, time in nature, and rest part of your life now so that when you need it, you can make those withdrawals from from the health account. Those are all deposits, those things you mentioned. Yes, you, know, you which, make those deposits. Yeah. Oh, that's what you're saying. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm on the, I'm on the same page here is that that's when you could put dollars in the in the account when you're doing the right exercise, when you're spending time in nature, when you're resting, when you're, you know, doing those things that are restorative and put you in that parasympathetic mode. So we've talked about diet and nutrition and nutrients specifically as part of building up resilience. We talked about some daily health habits like exercise and nature and movement and and all of that. Let's talk about the role of friendships and community. Well, we know that this is a huge part of what was discovered with the blue zones, those areas in the world that have the longest lived people. They had a very tight knit community, a lot of socializing, a lot of hanging out with your neighbor. And we also know that loneliness is a risk factor for cardiovascular disease much stronger than other things like smoking, which a lot of people find quite surprising. So we, we, are, we are social beings. We need social connection, some people more than others, some people less than others, but we need to have some sort of uh, social interactions on a regular basis. And this has profound impacts on our health and on our resilience. We live in a time, and this is no secret, uh, it's very well, it's been very well publicized, but that we are in this isolated state where we are spending dramatically more time alone on our devices. It's having a dramatic impact specifically on teenagers where, you know, I remember as a kid, like we had phones. It was usually the family phone. There weren't even cell phones when I was a teenager. I'm, I'm that old. But to make plans, you phone somebody and then you had to go and gather somewhere. And that was really the only way you could communicate with a large group of people was to be in the same room as them. And as an introvert, I often resist these social interactions and I have a hard time. I wouldn't say I have a hard time recovering from them, but I buzz a lot from them for days after sometimes. But I also do get energized by building these relationships outside of the home with you and our son and having these conversations and knowing that there is a support network that you can rely on. And that's really, really important. And we chose to live in a neighborhood where there is that strong community where our neighbors know our names and our child's name and we'll say, oh, you know, I saw Finley at the park. And and there's something really, really special and powerful to having that unity and having knowing that you have someone you can call. And again, this isn't something you want to rely on when you need it. It's something we need to work to cultivate as part of our resilience so we know that we have that network of support in those times of need, that we have some people we can you know, rest our head on and and rely on when we need a little bit of extra support during the challenging times. Let's take a moment here so you can meet Katinka Bench, a culinary nutrition expert graduate. Her passion for health and culinary nutrition is infectious. And she has used this passion to create a baking flour blend company where all of her mixes are grain-free and allergen-friendly. Here's Katinka to share a little more about her experience in our program. Hi, my name is Katinka Bench, and I graduated from the wonderful Academy of Culinary Nutrition in 2014. I am originally from Hungary, but have been enjoying life in the sunny Florida. The CNE program built on my previous education as a health coach and helped me deepen my knowledge in my favorite topic, which is food. 
I learned how to heal, build, and maintain vibrant health with food and how to cook for therapeutic benefits, all in a super delicious and fun way. Megan taught me that radiantly healthy food is supposed to be not just madly delish, but also deeply nourishing. I think I came up with my motto around that time. Every bite counts. The skills and knowledge I took from the program supported me in creating my first cooking classes, workshops, and gave me creative ideas to develop recipes from the most nutrient-dense foods for various dietary choices. Recently, I launched my baking flour blend company, sharing my passion for organic, grain, and all allergen-free baked goods that are super simple to create, and of course, deeply nourishing. My breads, buns, and waffles are high in protein, fiber, and low in carbs, and contain only whole food ingredients. They are kid and husband tested, so you can nourish your whole family, not just the ones with certain dietary choices. I am super grateful for Megan and Josh for the continued inspiration. Thank you, guys. In the 14-week Culinary Nutrition Expert Program, we have an entire module dedicated to allergen-friendly baking. Katinka has taken those skills to the next level with her business. You can learn more about Katinka at katinka.org and links to her work is in our show notes over at culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast. Just click on this episode. And if you're curious about whether the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program is the next right step for you, head over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash program to watch our course preview and download the full course catalog. Now, let's get back to today's conversation. Just a quick comment on tech too, regarding friendships and community. I think tech is not the issue. It's using tech inappropriately. So the worst of the worst is when I see a bunch of teenagers together somewhere in person and they're all on their phones. Yes. And like, I mean, we can't blame teenagers yeah. only. Like we adults, see adults do that too. doing yeah, this. Yeah, for sure. It's becoming a much bigger it's problem. It's a really and, big problem with seniors. Yeah. And not even with people who you know. It's like you're sitting on the TTC or the you know public transit and everyone's buried in their phones. You lose the opportunity to make those connections. But not to belabor this point any longer. I mean, you know, there's the plus side too, where what you've cultivated, Megan, with your program and your massive tribe across the world, a lot of these people don't really have a network when they start to explore the health journey around them. And by joining your your tribe and your community, they've all of a sudden been connected with almost 2,000 people around the world that have similar values and they all of a sudden feel part of something. Yes. And it's taken to the next level when we get to meet in person, like at our upcoming masterclass or just the small meetups that happen in communities in person. And that was what was part of the idea behind my original business of teaching cooking classes, which was that I had this interest. I didn't know anyone else who had that interest. And so I started teaching these classes to bring people together to cook and eat and build a sense of community. And I'm still in contact with so many of the people that came here in person to build that community with me. And so friendships and community, taking the time to cultivate this is really, really important for our overall health and well-being, short-term and long-term, and the studies support it. So moving from something that really builds our resilience to something that unfortunately can really degrade our resilience. It's like going into that factory and putting muck and garbage and 
bad things into the, all the machinery. It's like taking a little set of clippers to that rope, to the fine okay, strings exactly. of that rope. Yeah, or putting a solvent on it that makes it weaker. Let's give one more example of how we can degrade the resilience with our analogies. Putting that rope out in the sun to get radiation. These are all driving over it a few times. (laughs) These are all environmental factors that can degrade our resilience. Some that we might be aware of and some that we might not be aware of. Megan and I have spoken extensively on toxins in our environment not just physical toxins, but radio wave toxins like radiation, noise pollution, light stimulation. Um, And then of course there is pollution as well, like persistent organic pollutants, heavy metals and the like. So all of those factors again, break down our resilience. And on the plus side of environment, there are also environmental factors we can take into account that will build the resilience. Sometimes it takes getting used to them, but creating a calm home environment, something that feels like a sanctuary is really, really important so that whether you're introverted or extroverted, we all need that time to rest and recover and recuperate and, you know, be with ourselves and be with whoever we may share our home with. And again, I talked about getting out in nature as part of a health habit, but finding ways to spend time in nature is another really important environmental factor for building that resilience. We have these botanical gardens in Toronto called Allen Gardens. And Megan and I love to go there in the dead of the winter. Yes. So we go and we just walk into this building and they've got like sort of a few different pavilions depending on like different plant species. Different climate. They have like a de- desert pavilion. They have the turtle area. <laughs> They've got like the rainforest. The tropical, the yeah. tropical, And you go in there from the winter air and you just like, you breathe in, you take these gulps and mouthfuls of this amazing, <laughs> humidified, delicious plant-heavy air. And the scents and the feelings are just yeah. so invigorating. Yeah. The plants and the earth, the smell of, oh, I want to It's rejuvenating. There. It's really, really rejuvenating. If it, it has like a, it's not a spa, obviously, because it's a public garden. You're not, you know, in the nude getting massaged, though I do enjoy that too. But it is too much information. It is this really soothing experience. And it's one of the tips I offer for people who suffer from seasonal affective disorder or the less extreme version known as the winter blues, but getting into some nature. What, just out of curiosity, Josh, what's your favorite pavilion in there? Do you go for the tropics or the desert? I like the desert. Yeah, you do like the (laughs) desert. I I don't know if it's the cactus plants. Like I just love the quirkiness of cactus plants. I think you actually just feel at one because you look like a Joshua tree. Maybe, maybe that's the situation. I I love the the humidity. You do. I do. Yeah. So that's the environmental factor. And then another resilience factor. So we've talked about diet and nutrition. We've talked about daily health habits. We've talked about friendships and community, the environmental factors. Let's talk about happiness. Oh, happiness. Yeah. Happiness is something that a lot of people struggle with. And that struggle can actually present itself as a striving for more and as habits of consumption, where you are persistently trying to fill some type of void by buying stuff, buying more clothes, buying fancier cars, buying fancier devices, acquiring things to fill what is feels like is missing 
inside. And it can be incredibly hard and have a bit of a spiral effect. And you and I take active measures to work on happiness. And you, I think, have a naturally more, I don't want to say you're naturally happier, but you have a naturally calmer disposition, which I think helps. Whereas I can lean towards more worry and anxiety, which makes my focus on happiness and the factors and the habits we take in in our lives or that we apply that much more important for me. Mm, yes. And, uh, you know, a few of those things you mentioned at the beginning, I think actually equate more with pleasure, you know? True. Yeah, yeah. But it gets confused. It does get confused. And the interesting thing about happiness is we can change our happiness quotient, as we might call it. There's something called hedonic adaptation. And what that means is that we kind of have a set point for our happiness level. And they've done studies on this where people who win the lottery get like super happy and super joyful for a period of time and maybe rate their happiness level at, you know, something higher, but they eventually come back down to where they were before they won the lottery. And it's the same, the opposite too. Like if you have means, you know, to be above poverty level and to be able to eat and, you know, even if you don't have all the financial money that you want or all the financial you know, wealth that you want, you can still be very happy because we all have different set points, but we would all come back to that place. But you can change that set point and you do that through practicing things like gratitude. Yes. So all of you listening right now, you can think of someone in your brain who you're deeply grateful for, whether they helped you along the way, maybe they gave you some really good advice Maybe they give you, you know, a quarter at checkout because you're a quarter short. Maybe they gave you uh, a financial gift that really helped you out. You know, maybe they just loved you at the right time. And thinking about that gratitude and thinking about that person in this moment right now as you're listening to this has just increased your happiness level. Yes. And another thing that is really powerful is finding a way to serve others. And whether that's in a more effective, official way of being sort of a regular volunteer for a cause that matters to you or holding a door for someone who can't open it themselves. But any way that you can be of service to others fulfills an inherent part of humanity that I think we forget about when we're so plugged in and eyes down and not making eye contact and just trying to, you know, think about the next thing we need to do. Being of service to others in a way that is mutually beneficial and it it needs to be. You can't serve others at a deficit to yourself um, where you never, never, never give to yourself, but that can be mutually beneficial, can be an incredible way to build up your happiness from a resilient standpoint. For sure. And the cool thing about giving is giving is getting. When When you give, you get that amazing feeling. So, you know, you could say that giving is for self fulfillment but it's a more altruistic way to go about it. Yeah. And one of the things I talk a lot about in my work lately is finding that space in between where it can be so easy to get caught up in the frenetic pace of life that we don't take the time to fully acknowledge various milestones or achieving a certain goal or simply doing nothing. And Josh and I, it's taken me a long time to to settle into doing... I feel like... I was going to say to settle into doing nothing, but I I started doing yoga when I was about 23. So 
17 years now. Oh my goodness. Oh, Megan. And I started out <laughs> doing yoga that was incredibly vigorous and hard and more of like the Ashtanga vinyasa type. And it's taken me 17 years of doing and pushing and to to feel like the very best practice I can have is absolutely doing nothing is being able to be okay with not being in a state of productivity, whether that's in a yoga class or, or anywhere. And so we'll have these weekends. And at the end of the weekend, we're like, that was such a great weekend. What did we do? We went grocery shopping. We did some food prep. We did a little bit of exercise. We went for a walk in the park. We made some nice meals together. And for us, that's really savoring that time in between. And is so fundamental to part of our our happiness regiment, if we can call it that, and part of our resilience. That if we don't have, if I don't have, I can't speak for you, but if I don't have time like that, I know that my resilience will be on the decline, that I'm not making those deposits. Well, Megan. Yes, Josh. We're human beings, not human doings. You love saying that. There's a reason why we're called human beings. And it's because we need to just be and do less is essentially where it's at. And the cool thing about what you just said about our weekends is that oftentimes when people ask someone else or they're asked, you know, how was your weekend or how was that holiday or whatever? Like the sexy thing is to say, oh, I did this and this and this and this and this and I saw this and went here and and did this activity. But we find that the most boring weekends are actually the best ones. They are absolutely You my know, favorites. when we're just letting the time go by organically, should we go to the park? Should we do this? Should we go grocery shopping? Should we play a little bit on the floor? Should we go out in the back? Should we play in the sprinkler? Should we yeah. play with the snow? You know, like it's just kind of this flow that... You isn't said, goal oriented. You said boring, but it's not boring. It's so not. We can, it's, no. I'd say uneventful. It's boring to the to to talk to like say right. to like list it on a piece of paper. Like what did you do? We just we lived a life. We did our chores, but we got to do them together. And for us, that that's that's what that's what we seek out. So in summary, building the happiness builds your emotional resilience. And, and also, and one of the things just to to add to that is that space in between is really taking those moments, those deep breaths where you put down the phones. And I know you guys hear this all the time, but like making that eye contact and making those conversations and and having those connections and and giving thought to, to how you are in that moment and how you're feeling in that moment. And the last one that we want to address with resilience is that it's also part of it is having something to strive for and striving for what's possible. Because having a purpose is also an essential part of our resilience. And that's one of the biggest challenges I think people find when they retire. Mm. And Josh and I have talked about this idea of early retirement or pre-retirement and everyone we talk to who we tell this to says, well, you need to do something. And we have no intention of not doing things. We continue to have our purpose and our purpose is at its core is to serve you, is to continue learning and distilling and sharing information that can impact your health. That's our purpose. And so with that purpose comes a certain level of stress, but it's the positive side of stress. It's having something that motivates us to continue growing and evolving. And there's a fine balance with that. Recently, we were talking about the imposter syndrome, right? Yes, we were. And I feel 
having been in this field now for 12 years, the same feeling that I felt, you know, when I started in how much knowledge I have and how much I actually know. So no matter what extra stuff I learn or, or, you know, how long I've been doing this or the books I read or the seminars I go to or the new things that I pick up, I still have this feeling that I don't know enough and that there's still so much out there to learn, which again is a fine balance. You have to appreciate that you still know what you need to know to do your job and to succeed, but also to have that drive and that hunger to become better, to widen your depth of knowledge, not just in information, but in everything we're talking about to increase your resilience, essentially. Like you always say, Josh, our greatest strength is our greatest weakness. And the very same things that can build up our resilience, if we take it too far, it will start to destroy it and break it down and fray that rope and gunk up the machines. And so there has to be this sense of balance and moderation as we take on this, the idea of resilience, but also all of the things we have spoken about, that it's an easy transition, that we make it that easy transition so that it can become more effortless and just part of the day-to-day habits so that every day we're putting those deposits into the resilience bank account so that when we need to make a withdrawal, we're not taking out everything we have at once and are left at empty, that we still have, you know, a healthy balance, if you will. So some good questions you can use to check in is, do I feel more or less energy than I did yesterday? Do I feel more or less energy than I felt last week? More or less energy than I felt last year? Am I growing? Am I moving up the slope of health or down the slope of health? And ultimately then, what needs to happen in order to have a different printout tomorrow, to to feel different and have a different experience tomorrow and next week and next year so that we can move up that slope. And as we mentioned, and as we talked about today, and they're the same things we're going to be focusing on in our masterclass, though not from us because we have experts coming in, but diet, nutrition, our everyday health habits, friendship and community, environmental factors, happiness, and striving for what's possible. I loved this conversation. For one, because I love chatting with you about all this stuff, Josh. And I think we talk about this stuff a lot on our own time, not always when we're recording it. But I love it because it strips things back to what we really, really need to be considering. I hope for those of you listening, you picked up a few practices, maybe one in each category that you can start applying now to build up your resilience. And if you're looking for more inspiration on resilience, we'd both love to invite you to learn from some of the leaders in this field with our masterclass. You can join us for our live event taking place May 9th. It will be live streamed with a recording available so you can join from anywhere in in the world. Grab your ticket at culinarynutrition.com forward slash 2020 masterclass. If you are feeling inspired and are interested in taking a food-centered approach and diving deeper into the world of health and nutrition and would love more in-depth learning from Josh and I, please check out our 14-week flagship certification course, the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. Visit culinarynutrition.com forward slash program to learn more. Knowledge is important, but applying it is where the power is and how we're going to build our resilience. As I always say, the best way to get started is to get started. Take what you've learned and start applying it in your life. If you enjoyed this episode, 
please leave us a review and share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you again next time. And connecting with you on May 9th. Thanks, everyone, and have a great day.